From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show on the radio, 91.7 KLZR. Also heard around the world as a podcast, Spotify, iTunes, you know, wherever you get fine podcasts. And this one, Matt West here hanging out with you to talk cars and all sorts of things automotive in nature. And hopefully that is what you are here for as well. Now I've got a fun show in the works for you. Going to be talking a little bit about uh, the Army perhaps buying the new Hummer EV or at least integrating EVs into its fleet. Uh, that's interesting, right? Also, uh, the end of robocalls, yes, or at least the ones relating to auto warranty stuff. You know <laughs> you know which ones. Uh, and Brembo's also got some new braking technology that I think is really, at least it is very interesting. I don't know if it's the future, but I think it is very cool. It is a cool example of uh, technology advancement in a sector that we kind of forget about, a, a section that we don't really think about a whole lot that we kind of think, well, we got ABS, everything's as developed as it's going to get. So uh, that said, I am going to keep the show a little tiny bit shorter today, mainly because I'm about to uh, drive out after I finish uh, recording the show here. I'm about to uh, drive out for a couple hours with a truck and a trailer and go pick up a buddy's car uh, in a neighboring city. It's probably going to be about a three-hour drive. So that said, there is a rainstorm of apocalyptic proportions on the horizon, and it, it looks really terrifying. And there's already flood advisories, major hail advisories. It's going to be a nasty storm, and of course, yours truly is going to be driving through it with um, truck and trailer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a real smart one. De definitely, definitely. Now, anyway, ladies, gentlemen, SW20 MR2s. That's what I'm picking up, by the way, is a uh, MR2 with my uh, truck and trailer. Not mine, unfortunately. It's a buddy's car. But, you know, I do like to surround myself with broken, old, and decrepit Toyotas. So, um, anyway, <laughs> that said, uh, check this out. Before we get into any of that, there is a new survey... Uh, that is pretty interesting here, actually, because what it says, and this is important if you are in a committed relationship with somebody, maybe you can relate to this. It says 63% of people get nervous when their significant other is driving the car and that 60% of people from the passenger seat keep their eye on the speedometer when they are being driven by their uh, other uh, significant other and uh, i don't know if this is you i i'm i'm a bachelor i can't comment on this if, if the car's in motion i'm the one driving it though i do ride with friends sometimes uh that said i i am typically the one to be driving the car so you know what you might have to let me know if this is if this is true or not chime in on the uh, facebook page facebook.com slash automotive adhd that's also the same place you send your car sounds in and uh <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny one, though. And you know what's funny about this is you would imagine that the majority of people here are husbands. I'm just saying with the stereotype, husbands worrying about their wives driving. In fact, it is the other way around. A uh, lot of majority of people here are uh, that were surveyed. Uh, at least the wives were more concerned about their husbands driving. Yeah. You know, it, it, look, it, see, this is also a good reason why I'm a bachelor. I am single because uh, this is, this, you see, this isn't a problem. <laughs> and uh, I guarantee someone riding with me probably wouldn't like my style of driving. 
very much. You know, I don't I don't have a lot of passengers for a, for a good reason. So anyway, hey, if this sounds like something true to you, though, uh, if this is something you can relate to, chime in, do it. Check out the Facebook page. Let me know your thoughts there. Um, I, I think this is this is a, this is an area that I am uniquely unqualified to uh, discuss, especially as a uh, as a bachelor. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, there you go. There's just something kind of fun I wanted to uh, touch on here just a little bit uh, before we get into some other stuff. So one thing uh, I also want to hit on here before we talk about some of the other fun things like the new brake technology, the army adopting EVs, maybe, who knows, uh, is uh, Carvana, the car dealership. If you're familiar with them, they have this interesting business model. Uh, they want to bring car sales into the 21st century, allegedly. And uh, the idea is you pick a car online, you buy it, and sometime later it shows up on the back of a flatbed in front of your house. The whole idea is to completely uproot the standard dealership model of buying a car. And it is genuinely an interesting idea, though I think it is specifically problematic because um, they, you know, they, they, they say that, well, you get the car for a period of time that you can test drive it before you buy it. Because one issue is buying a car sight unseen. That's a little problematic, obviously. That can come with a lot of problems, but they do get around that letting you test drive it and then send it back. But the problem is that just extends the buying process so far out. Now, that said, what why they are in the news is because there have been a number of issues with them. Uh, over the past couple of months, a number of customers have reported issues that they bought a car, all the financing cleared, all the money cleared, and Carvana never sent them a title so they could register their car, uh, which a lot of states have a requirement that you register your car within 30 days of buying it. Uh, we do have that here in Colorado. And this is uh, this is one of those things that can be, I think, frustrating and is evident of the problem with this type of business model. Again, you don't have a dealership that you go to. You don't have a salesperson that you directly work with. You buy this car on the Internet and then you have it shipped to your door. Again, the whole idea is it's supposed to be like Amazon, but for cars. And uh, but the problem is then you have some central office or location where they ship these titles out and apparently that's been a major sticking point customers haven't received the titles for the cars that they bought and then they go past their state's 30-day uh, registration deadline and then they can't get temp tax because they also don't have a title that's one issue is if you have a title or uh, a lien or something indicating that you own that car that your bank has signed off on it if you've gotten a loan on it then you can get uh, plates and you can get temp tags but if you neither if you don't have any of that then you can't really do a whole lot you just can't drive the car at that point because you can't get temporary tags for it temporary registration and you can't um get you can't do anything else you can't yeah your state just basically says oh well you don't have a title we don't really know if you bought that car we're not going to do anything for you so the problem here is this has been an ongoing issue a number of people have reported this over the past months with Carvana. And now it has gotten to the point where the state of Illinois has revoked Carvana's dealership license. And this isn't the first time it's been revoked in Illinois, by the way. Um, currently, it's a temporary suspension on Carvana from selling cars in Illinois. And that's, again, all surrounding this issue with uh, them, ha them not being able to provide titles. 
Um, and uh, on top of that, as a company, Carvana has also announced a 12% staff cut, laying off 2,500 employees, which seems like a counterproductive thing to do, in my opinion, because it seems that, okay, they're having issues sending titles out and having the administrative staff working in offices and getting all this stuff done. Oh, okay, let's lay off more people. I don't know. I don't know. I, I am of the opinion that Carvana is not long for the world. I don't think their company is going to be around much longer. And even if they do, I think their reputation at this point has been severely damaged by this the, these this whole debacle again uh, with you know how how they're treating customers and relating to getting titles and all of that stuff. So we'll see where that goes. That's just an interesting footnote. It's a interesting Carvana is a peculiar example of changing how people buy cars, right? It's kind of a revolutionary idea at the time. Tesla also does something similar with the sort of a decentralized dealership network where you can buy a car on the internet. Still, I am not really ever a big proponent of these online dealerships. And that's not because I'm trying to side with ooh, the big conglomerates that own in-person dealerships. No, a lot of dealerships just suck in general. Uh, now, I do have experience buying a car um, sight unseen from an auction. You don't even, <laughs> when you do that, you don't even get to test drive it. You nothing. The car shows up. You've already paid for it. It is what you get and you are stuck with it. I will say that. So I have gone this route. I have a little bit of experience, at least in a similar context. And, uh, but I, I think being able to honestly, for the average consumer, being able to buy a car and see the car in person, or at least test drive one like it if you're specking one to order it. Um, that is super important. And having, sure, a regular dealership does cost probably more money, has more overhead. You know, you pay the sales guy and you pay the, the service advisor and you pay the finance guy and then they have upcharges. But at the end of the day, you're also dealing with actual people. You're not dealing with a faceless, nameless website that just ships you a car and then hopes that you'll eventually get a title for it. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, more great stuff in the works. We're going to be talking about the military maybe adopting EVs or if they should or shouldn't. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Did you know there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it. And despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, Thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. All right, here we are, rocking it for the second segment of the Automotive ADHD Show. Matt West here talking cars with you. Those car sounds were courtesy of friend of the show, Jimmy Ford from JimmyFordRacing.com. You have heard his interviews, his stories about racing Pikes Peak this year. He is a Pikes Peak hill climb racing driver. Now, if you didn't hear any of what I'm talking about, then, then go check it out. What are you doing? You are missing out. And I encourage you, 
to listen to not only last week's episode, but the prior couple of weeks of episodes. I really went all out on the Pikes Peak Hill Climb coverage right here on the show. Again, you know, the show opens from, you know, with the line from Olympic City in the home of Pikes Peak, right? That is what we are able to do. That is what I can provide you as a listener of the show. And you're not getting that anywhere else. If you are, uh, you know what? (laughs) Tell me who they are and, uh, and 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 then they can they can battle me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. But uh, that said, I mean, you aren't getting that anywhere else. You have definitely tuned into the correct car show. Now, I also enjoy playing listener car sounds right here on the podcast and on my radio show. You should send those in. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Matt at throttlewarrior.com. When you send those car sounds in, you are entered for a chance to win a $25 parts store gift card. The automotive ADHD keychain, which I'm sure mine is somewhere around here. It's, I don't know, it's on the other table. Uh, And you also get to win all of that. And the new prize. What is the new prize? You're going to have to find out. I'm, I'm not telling you yet. I mean, I'm hyping this up so much so that you are overwhelmed with resounding disappointment when you actually get it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But it is going to be fun. I, uh, I do like it. And I should actually be getting them hopefully done. The prizes, I I still don't have them in hand yet. I'm waiting for the folks who are making it to send them to me. So hopefully I'll have them in time for next week when I announce the winner. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So... Anyway, uh, hey, one thing before we talk about the Army perhaps adopting electric vehicles, uh, the FCC, check this out, Speak of an, speaking of a, another governmental organization, uh, the FCC is the Federal Communication Commission. I know I have a lot of friends uh, in Europe, and uh, this might sound uh, uh, maybe a little foreign, at least a tiny bit, but the FCC basically regulates um it regulates all communications that happen uh, electronically, essentially. They regulate radio, uh, and I'm, I'm well familiar with how they familiar with how they regulate radio. They also regulate the telecom industry, cell phones, landlines, uh, the internet to some degree. Uh, their jurisdiction over the internet is is surprisingly small for a com- or for a um, organization that manages communications. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not. But regardless, they do handle most communications here in the United States, and they are officially going after the robocallers. Yep. You get those. You get those calls. You get them all the time. I know you do because I get them. The we're calling you in regard to your car's extended warranty type of call. And they're terrible, firstly. And And so the FCC is finally going after these folks. Now, the Robocalls relating to auto warranties and why this is relevant here on a car show um, are all, by the way, almost all of them universally are scams. I would say as a kind of a PSA, look, if you are getting robocalls trying to sell you extended auto warranties, it's probably a scam. I almost guarantee any company using robocalls to try to sell you something is trying to steal money from you and trying to con you out of personal information or something. I think no legitimate company at this point utilizes telemarketing as a genuine marketing strategy. And the thing is, they do use this, um, these companies who do this for nefarious reasons um, use telemarketing because they know it, older populations, older demographics 
are particularly susceptible to it. These are people who, you know, lived long before the Internet and are used to having telemarketers, uh, you know, at some point, you know, call them to sell them something. And a lot of times in the old days, it could be something legit. But I think in the year 2022, anybody selling you something over the phone, cold calling you, you know, out of nowhere to sell you something is a scammer. And uh, I like I, it doesn't matter who that who they are, what they say. I'm always going to assume that they're trying to steal money from me. And uh, I think that's a safe assumption to make. I honestly do. Now, that said, the auto warranty thing, not all extended auto warranties are a bad thing. I will I will say that. In fact, I know some folks who've uh, who have actually, you know, utilized extended auto warranties to decent effect uh you know it's it can be kind of sketchy it can be a little debatable as to what's covered and what's not covered and you know i i don't know it's it is tricky you gotta really if you actually go the route of finding a legitimate extended third-party auto warranty you do have to do your homework in my opinion you really do because a lot of these are are (laughs) <laughs> a lot of them are scams or a lot of them are selling you a warranty on pretty much nothing. Oh, your transmission blew up. Well, the C that's a CVT transmission and that's not covered under our, you know, policy, so you still have to pay for it. Right? That that kind of stuff can happen. So, that said, the robocalls, uh the FCC has found that a certain group of individuals, a it's a handful of companies uh specifically here in the United States. Now, I I'm not sure they can do anything about some of the robocalls coming in from India and, you know, places like Hungary and stuff like that where some of these other call centers are. But um, for the most part, some of the robocalls coming from the United States, the FCC is going to kind of try to head those off, have the telecom companies regulate them and try to get them to filter these calls out and then also go after and try to find and shut down the companies originating these calls. And they say that the select few companies that have been the originators of these calls sent out from 2018 to 2022 over 8 billion robocalls. 8 billion! Holy cow! That is that is insane. And th- that's how I know you... I guarantee you've had a call like this at some point. Because look at it this way. There's 7 billion and some change people on the planet. And over 8 billion robocalls have happened. So in theory, at least, that means every single person on the planet should have gotten one at some point. And obviously not every person on the planet owns a cell phone or even a landline. So uh, that means you, uh, yeah, that, that's how I know you've gotten these calls. That's how I know. Uh, and you know what, my uh, listeners and friends in Europe and other countries, um, I would be thrilled to hear how the auto warranty scam calls work there. I'm sure you're not getting the same ones we're getting here in the United States. But I'm sure you get them. It's got to be. It's got to be. But good news for us United States citizens at the very least. The FCC is coming down on these guys. Now, I will say I've not always been a fan of the FCC and everything they've done. But this is one case where, you know, as an auto enthusiast, too, I'm like, hey, you know what? They're, they're stopping these stupid auto warranty calls. And these things are bogus. They are nonsense. Never listen to them. Though I have been waiting for that day when... An auto warranty caller calls me and I can like actually get a real person on the line and see if they'll insure my or warranty my entire fleet of 40 year old broken cars. Oh, yeah. What is it? Oh, yeah. It's a 1986 Corolla. It's got 480,000 miles on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you do the warranty on that? And then then they'll just hang up. Right. (laughs) I do want to get them to warranty my um, 
1977 AMC Hornet. If only just to waste their time and provide myself with some amusement and then ultimately tell them, them tell me, you know, well, we can't, we can't ensure that. Whatever. I know. I just, I want to waste their time. Is that, it's like a passive aggressive thing now. Whenever I get these robocallers, if I have the time to waste, I will follow the prompts just to get to an actual person just to waste their time. That's the sort of person I am. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I should record that at some point, see if I can get a funny interaction out of them and play it here on the show. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. So anyway, now I want to talk about, um, the army next year from one government organization to another the united states army has announced that they are going to be looking at least at the new hummer ev now as you may know general motors uh has come out with the new hummer it's customers aren't really getting these things yet but they are being produced um they are of course going to sell over sticker once customers start getting them they're massive they're huge they are electric However, what's funny about these is a number of reports say the actual carbon footprint, so-called carbon footprint of the new Hummer EV is actually worse than that of a gas SUV. So the Hummer still doing its job to pollute the planet decades later. It, it, it doesn't even have a gas drivetrain in it, and it's still doing its job <laughs> to pollute the planet. How Hummerish, right? I mean, anytime someone talks about you know, a vehicle being inefficient. You always picture a first-generation Hummer. That's just how it is. The Hummer is living up to its nameplate, and that's fine. That's fine. That's what Hummers do. Uh, though this EV one is particularly interesting because it is it is fast, and it has a lot of range, and it has a lot of power, a 1,000 horsepower to be specific, uh, and it can do 0 to 60 in just 3 seconds and, uh, and it's a giant honking 8,000 pound EV, 10,000 pounds, however much they, they're, they're heavy. They are very heavy. And, uh, the army has purchased a couple of them, in fact. And, um, General Motors is going to give a few that the army has bought, um, to the army for evaluation. The army traditionally moves very slow on things. Uh, I've never been in the army Though I can imagine if you have been, you might know what I mean when I say they move slow when it comes to adopting new things. There are tons of regulations. There's tons of bureaucracy for something to get adopted. For instance, the Army uh, adopted a new service rifle just recently uh, to replace the M4, which has been in use for decades, which that was only a derivative of an M16, which was used for decades. I I mean, we're talking like... 50 years, essentially, for them to adopt a new platform. And that's just, you know, a gun. That's what they use. Uh, Instead here, for vehicles, again, they can be pretty slow. And so at least, though, they're starting out the early phases of um, getting these things, testing them, trying to see if they can break them, doing everything they can, knowing that uh, <laughs> people in the army, infantrymen, are going to run these things through their paces. And uh, But the question then becomes is an electric vehicle, because they're not only going to be evaluating these on terms of their reliability, their performance, and their power, they're going to be evaluating these on the strategics and their supply chain and how the army has to operate when it comes to uh, using an electric vehicle. And it's interesting because an electric vehicle, to me, I don't see that having as much combat practicality as a gas vehicle. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not going to get used by the army. The army has a whole division that is just dedicated to 
logistics. You have to support any combat troops in anything. You you have a huge amount of people that are required to support a small amount of actual frontline combat troops. And that means that, you know, vehicles to use in maybe non-combat roles for other things, transporting stuff, transporting troops, transporting goods and food and other things on bases and in areas. I mean, that seems like something this Hummer would be perfectly suited for uh, being able to you know do something like that be a logistical vehicle doesn't really leave the compound leave the base wherever you are maybe you're on the front lines and you have your base camp there or maybe you're here in the states you know at an army base whatever um, you know the being able to have this vehicle and have it charge and be able to charge it from a central location is critical because that is one issue you have with electric vehicles being used, say, in a combat sense. In a combat sense, you want your vehicle to have good range, but you also want your vehicle to be easily refuelable. You don't want to be sitting there saying, all right, we're behind enemy lines, but uh, we got to wait for our EV to charge. Oh, yeah, and then we got to charge it somewhere. Right. That doesn't work. Uh, a combat vehicle, I think, still needs to be run on fossil fuels because you need to be able to take gas cans with you, extra fuel. Um, if you have a problem in a certain area, um, you know, someone else can come deliver fuel to you. You can fill it up quickly in a matter of minutes and then get the hell out of there. Right. So I think that I, I don't think EVs as they currently stand make much sense in a combat role. Um also, when you consider that they have a bunch of big, big batteries, I mean, the battery pack for this thing is the entire chassis, like the floor of the chassis is all battery pack. And imagine rolling over some sort of explosive device and that going straight into the battery pack. Now, obviously, fossil fuel vehicles in a combat sense can also be susceptible to explosions and things penetrating the fuel tank and causing a fire, right? Like, fossil fuel will still burn, but I would worry about a battery pack especially being exposed to uh, explosives, um, you know, armor-piercing ammunition. It's worrisome of what that could do as opposed to a regular fuel tank, which I feel may be more simple or at least maybe cheaper to isolate and armor that specifically. So I, I don't really know for sure what the army is going to do with these Hummers. I, I have a feeling they're not going to actually adopt hum these civilian Hummers for use uh, for whatever they're doing. But I do think that General Motors is probably saying, ooh, we could get another big army contract out of this if we can make something that they can use. It still may not be a combat vehicle, but it is still something that... I think in certain cases, the Army could use. And I'm sure uh, features that the Hummer has, like its uh, crab walking feature and the all-wheel steering so it can turn more tightly in areas, that is probably appealing, especially as a logistics vehicle um, and some of the maintenance on these as well. I mean, you know, electric vehicles don't need as much general maintenance when it comes to, say, oil changes because there's no oil to change and things like that. So they may actually be better suited to operating in dusty environments. So uh, who knows? Who knows? It'll be interesting, though, to see what the Army does. Um, you know, the the whole use of electric vehicles and the whole use of vehicles in general has been reevaluated, you know, by dozens of armies with different countries and different militaries, uh, and especially as the war in Ukraine is happening now, too. That's making 
governments kind of reevaluate again how they use their equipment and how they can use new equipment. You know, obviously, uh, one thing that Hummer could do, perhaps uh, as a support vehicle is provide um, electricity to troops who need to charge equipment and, you know, small drones and, you know, all sorts of personal equipment that soldiers use. I mean, you know, the army wants soldiers to get more high tech with stuff. That's one way for them to support that. So interesting stuff. Uh, if anything is I will say, though, if anyone is going to break the new Hummer. It's probably it's probably going to be the army or heaven forbid they give it to the Marines. They'll definitely if they want to break it, they'll give it to them and they'll find a way to break it. Just, just saying. So anyway, got some more good stuff coming up. We're going to be talking about a new breaking technology that Brembo is working on. This is pretty cool. Don't go anywhere. And now for how things work with an engineer. Engines. Spin. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttle warrior. Yeah, that's Bailey's big turbo Dodge Neon SRT4. You have heard it before on the show, but I just I really enjoy that car sound. It sounds great. So I wanted to play it again. I mean, hey, come on. My show, my rules. But you should send in your car sounds. I want to play them here on the show, on the podcast, as well as on my radio show, which that happens Saturday mornings, 91.7 KLZR at 1030. You got to check that out if you're in Southern Colorado. And for the rest of us, well, there is always the podcast. But remember to send those car sounds in. We need more of them in my continuing quest to play everybody's car sounds on the radio. So check that out. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD or Matt at throttlewarrior.com. Now that storm I mentioned at the beginning of the show is has set in now. It is now it is now pounding with rain. So I'm gonna try to head out of here before the storm hits uh before it gets too crazy with uh you know a big load, me calling a big load. But I do want to touch base with Brembo's new braking technology. So uh, it has been, you know, brakes, I think, have been something that are often overlooked uh, and in the in the in the sense of innovation. OK, um, obviously, brakes are a very important addition to any car. Uh, in fact, the only thing that should be stopping your car typically are the brakes. If you're stopping your car, I mean, obviously, you got engine braking. But aside from that, <laughs> you usually don't want other things stopping your car. Uh, and, uh, but we've had anti-lock brakes since the 1980s, essentially, in a lot of, uh, consumerly available production vehicles. And it's interesting that, you know, you see braking technology advance in little, little bits, right? You get more sophisticated with disc brakes. You get more sophisticated with multi-piston disc brakes. And then, you know, uh, you know, like six piston disc brakes and, you know, carbon ceramic rotors and all, st all that kind of stuff, which is good. But the actual system in which you engage those brakes is still physical hydraulic pressure from your brake pedal connected to a master cylinder that generates hydraulic pressure and uses uh, engine vacuum to create a little bit of a boost to help uh, clamp those brakes down harder than you could push them down. But at the end of the day, it is your physical foot, eh, you know, actuating 
hydraulic pressure to then cause the calipers to clamp down on the rotors. And um, and that, that hasn't really changed much. Obviously, anti-lock brakes are a way to improve the safety of things like this. But again, that's now old technology, and Brembo is taking this um, another step. So we've seen... In a few cars over the past couple of years, uh, Alfa Romeo has uh, been using these this in a few cars, uh, drive-by-wire braking. So essentially, your brake pedal is a fake master cylinder that simulates the feel of a hydraulic brake, and um, then that tells a computer how far you've pushed the brake, and then it uses a pump that pumps hydraulic fluid and then clamps down um, the uh, pads and the, the the calipers and everything, uh, which to me seems like a little bit of a roundabout way. Like, what's what's really the point of that? The point of that is to make it easier for computers um, to do things like automated braking and stuff like that. That That's the point of that. But uh, it's basically using fake hydraulic pedal feel and then translating that into data that the computer reads and then that actuates a pump that then uses still a hydraulic system to clamp down on the brakes. Now, Brembo is changing this, though, and this is interesting. They um, are actually pioneering something, and and hat tip to Car and Driver uh, for this uh, article about this, but they, uh, Brembo is working on a system that uses an electric motor um, type device. It's not exactly an electric motor, but it uses that clamped to a brake caliper to actuate the brake. So they're truly drive-by-wire now. You're basically bypassing the hydraulic system uh, entirely, and you're not using kind of a hybrid electric hydraulic system. It's completely electric. And to someone as a driving enthusiast like myself, this sounds kind of terrible, right? It's like, I don't really like the idea of drive-by-wire braking. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't at least jive with me as a fan of analog sports cars, obviously, but it does present some really cool ideas because they are able to get incredibly sophisticated with the anti-lock brake system. In your traditional anti-lock brake system, you have a module that it basically modulates that hydraulic pressure and makes the brakes clamp on, off, on, off, on, off at a very high rate of speed, basically keeping your tires in a, like a panic stop at a certain threshold of grip. Um, the idea is, again, not to completely lock the tires, but the idea is also not to, you know, brake too lightly. And by pulsating the brakes, you kind of keep it in that threshold of grip. Well, by having individual electric motors um, actuate the brakes very quickly, you can get incredibly sophisticated with your anti-lock braking system. Uh, in fact, you can have just one wheel uh, that might be, you know, you're cornering really hard in a car and then you're diving on the brakes to so say you're on a racetrack, right? Like a road course. And maybe one wheel is just starting to lock up before the other ones do, maybe because of how the chassis is getting unbalanced in that corner or whatever. You can use this electronic system to just actuate that one or individually um change the parameters in which the anti-lock brakes work on each wheel. And that's fascinating. From a performance standpoint, that would mean you can use computers and all sorts of stuff to do incredible things with your brake system that have otherwise been impossible. And I think will make performance brakes especially good. My concern with this technology stems from uh, brake feel. As a driver, you are accustomed to a certain sort of brake feel. And I feel like you might lose that here with an electronic system. Even some of the hydroelectric systems or 
hydraulic and electronic systems. Hydroelectric, that's a, that's a different term. <laughs> but at least some of those systems, I, I've heard people complain about the feel in those. You don't get that real feedback from the brakes because in a traditional hydraulic-only system, you do get feedback from the brakes. You feel how much the pads are biting. You feel that if there's a, you know... If your brake rotor is warped, you are going to feel that through the pedal. You're going to feel that vibration from a warped brake rotor because that is directly interacting with the brake pads, which then are pushing on pistons, which then are interacting on hydraulic fluid through the lines back to the master cylinder and your foot. There is, It is a physical connection. One way or another, it is a true physical connection. You lose that with electric brakes, and I worry that you lose that feel and the precision that a well-trained driver can get with that braking feel. You know, there's a reason some race car drivers don't use anti-lock brakes because they are the anti-lock brakes. They, they are incredibly skilled at the principle of threshold braking. And um, and I, I feel like that's something that might become more difficult with electronic brakes, though it might also become entirely pointless and useless because of the electronic brakes. You might not have to worry about that. So it is a very interesting idea. Um, Brembo has a working example of this on a, a Tesla Model 3 test car uh, that they let car and driver uh, go take around a test track. And the reports of it were really positive. Which is, which is encouraging. And it's possible that we could see this in, I would say Teslas would probably be the first sort of thing. Electric cars make the most sense for these electronic braking systems because you don't have an engine to provide vacuum boost for a traditional brake booster and, uh, you know, or a brake master cylinder. You don't have that. So electric cars tend to use either already existing drive-by or brake-by wire systems, um, or they use a vacuum pump that generates vacuum pressure and uses a traditional braking system with that. I think by using electronic brakes, you can do some interesting stuff and in that EVs will probably be the first ones to start doing this. But I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing this in, you know, Porsches and other high-end supercars. If this really works as well as they say, then... Again, your ability to dynamically control the brakes in a performance driving situation uh, is really cool. That is honestly fascinating, and that is that is the progression of technology right there. Brembo says that they will be doing a production version of this by the end of 2024. So that's pretty that's pretty early, honestly. That is not bad at all. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see that. Will it be expensive? Oh yeah, it's gonna be expensive. I don't think we're gonna see this on uh, consumer level cars or as a kit you can install on your track car or something. This is not something we're going to see for a little bit, at least on the grassroots level, because it's going to be pricey. But it is interesting. I I respect it from a mechanically interesting technical aspect. However, I don't know how well it's going to feel or compare to traditional brakes. I don't know. Beats, beats me on that. Good stuff, though. Now, anyway, hey, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. Just kind of fun, lighthearted, some interesting stories to talk about. And uh, I'm going to get on the road here before I am killed in a tremendous thunderstorm. And uh, <laughs> so I'm going to head out here. But I do want to thank you for joining me and, of course, for subscribing to the podcast. Remember, you can do that on Spotify. You can also give it a rating. Let's blow that up. Let's make Spotify add a sixth star just for this show so there you go now i will see you same time same place right here next week